Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Once you've been through tough times, you can only become stronger. Alicia Dixon. But I think that that particular day, we were climbing up what's called Brigade Hill and the porters took my day pack off me. And to me, that was, to me, I failed. I wasn't at the back, I was in the middle of the pack. I was never at the back, I was in the middle of the pack. But for them to take my pack off me, um, I felt I had failed. But then I got to a point where I was actually terrified they were going to give it back to me. It's actually so much easier to walk without it. So I think there was that. There was, it's just, and there was another moment on that hill where I know I actually looked up to the sky and said, just give me 10 metres of relative flat to just recalibrate my body. Something from day five onwards, really. Whether my hiking legs kicked in, I don't know. But mentally, I think I just stopped fighting it. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, is this thing on? Hello? Hit it again. 
I think it's on now. <clears throat> Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, where each week, Doc will drag some colorful characters out of the woods to talk trail and type 2 fun. If you're aspiring hiker trash, or if you're just looking to understand the hiker trash in your life, look no further. So lace up those boots, gnaw on some jerky, and settle into your 20-mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to embrace the suck. We are stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear on this episode of Hiker Trash Radio. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, they've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, Garage Grown Gear has everything you need to lighten your load. Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over $40. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags, hiker trash, and of course, good smelling day hikers. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, if you like what we're doing, help us out. Take just a minute, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what we're doing, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, an outdoor adventurer from down under, Tracy O'Brien. Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, Tracy. How's it going? Good, thanks, Doc. How are you? Fantastic. Now, we we had a, a slight delay in the start because you've been up to some stuff today, haven't you? I have. I was just doing an, uh, my first adventure race this morning, and it took a little longer than anticipated. <laughs> we, we've had adventure racers on the podcast before. Tell us, what is adventure racing, and what was the length of your adventure race today? So the one we did today was a, a baby one. It was a women's only one, just at a local reserve here. And it was a 2K kayak approximately a five I'm going to talk kilometers so this is going to be fun a five kilometer run and a 10 kilometer bike ride thereabouts okay and Um, but the bike ride was a bit you said it took a a bit longer than you expected so did you run into some unanticipated troubles out there yeah I think they were quite yeah I think their timing was out quite substantially and then my map reading was off and my friend that I was partnered with she was struggling a bit and the bike we just got lost on the bike leg we had no we, we could not find a checkpoint so in the end it was just we wasted so much time trying to, trying to find that checkpoint it would have been better just to take the time penalty and which is what we did in the end and then yeah we got there in the end <laughs> Well, that, I don't think she'll ever do another one. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's frustrating, but congratulations on finishing. Thank you. Yeah, right. It was good fun. It's good fun. I, I think in the moment I said I thought I'd never do it again, but now I'm sitting down, yeah, I'd probably do it again. You can't quit after a, a bad outing. It has to be on your own terms. Don't let it make up your mind for you. No, that's it. I don't look at it as a failure. It was lessons learned on how to read a map. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. Hey, Tracy, have you listened to the podcast before? I most certainly have. 
Uh-oh. I think I'm somewhere in 2022. <laughs> wow. Okay. So uh, you've gone through a number of episodes, it sounds like. Yep. I've just, I think I'm up to the episode with halfway through the episode with Twerk in about August last year. Okay. So you're listening to the podcast in its former iteration when it was the John Freaky Muir pod. Yes, I still don't know the reasoning behind the change in name, but <laughs> I'm working my way to it. Uh, all right. You're listening to the John Freaking Muir Pod, and you're on Hiker Trash Radio. So, yes, you'll have to keep listening to find out what happened there. I don't want to ruin the surprise for you. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Now, you've done some adventuring down in the Southern Hemisphere, in and around Australia. Have you picked up a trail name along the way? I haven't. I desperately want one. And I do guide hikes on weekends. And every time I get out there, I say, let's let's get these trail names going. And I end up giving names and I just don't get one. <laughs> Based on what I know of you so far, maybe a good trail name for you would be Wrong Way. <laughs> you can try that one out. See, see, how, guiding, see how it feels. All right. So you are familiar with the, the format of the podcast. We do have a segment towards the end of each episode that used to be called the Pro Tip Inside of the Week. We now call it the Hiking Hack on Hiker Trash Radio. So okay. that's where I'm going to turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make the next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. Wait. Okay. Sounds good. And let's let's get to our first segment. Trailblazers Toolkit. That's right. It's time for the Trailblazers Toolkit, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. I love to talk about gear on the podcast, and I love to hear about the most important item in my guest adventure gear. So, wrong way. How does that feel? Is that, is that comfortable? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll work on it. Yeah. Okay, all right. Or, Tracy, if you were preparing for your next adventure, and I was the one providing you with all your gear, what is the one specific gear piece of gear you would insist on being packed? Give me all the specifics on that piece of gear. Tell me why you've got to have it out there. This could be any kind of item. It could be gear. It could be apparel. It could be a luxury item. So, Tracy, what is that item in your toolkit? I'm going to actually go with my phone purely for its camera because I love to take photos. And I've got a Samsung S23 Ultra, and everyone who picks up my phone when they go to take a photo for me, they go, wow, the colors. I love my phone. Uh, yeah, for that reason only, it's always on flight mode because I'm not interested in anything else out there. So it's always on flight mode, but I love taking photos. So it, it, I think it'd have to be my phone. Now, is the Samsung known for its camera and its lenses on, on the phone? Is it better than the iPhone in yeah, terms of taking one, pictures? Look, I think they've both got their pros and their cons. I've got a work iPhone, so I use both of them. And when I tend to look back on the iPhone photos, they almost look black and white compared to the colors that come through on the Samsung. And then the Samsung, the latest Samsung, the S23 Ultra, which I've got, actually has a 200 megapixel camera. And I think the wow. others have about 10 or 16. Yes. So That's impressive. Yeah, it really picks up the colors. Okay. But I'm going to go with my phone. Okay. That makes sense. Now, would you ever trade in your phone for a full-size one of those fancy cameras out there uh, it seems like a lot of extra weight to me one of those. yeah I, I do have one of those and i've got like the extra the big lenses and all that sort of stuff and it's just too heavy 
And the cameras these days, the phone cameras, while they're not perfect, they're pretty close. Yes, I so, agree. Yeah, I'd love to, but it's just about five. It's about five what kilos. I don't know what that is in pounds. What's that in pounds? Ten pounds? No, I don't. It's about. It's too much extra weight. I'm only a small human, and I've only got. I can only carry so much. Okay. Now, Tracy, one thing that has not changed on the podcast during the whole rebranding is. It's the hiking pole. The hiking pole. And that's pole spelled with two L's like a survey. This is a seven question survey that's going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale from one to 100, with one being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. You ready for this? Absolutely. Now, your partner that you were out on the adventure race with today, how would mm-hmm. how would she score you on the sanity scale if I asked her? At this very moment, probably about a nine. <laughs> <laughs> Single digits. All right. I love it. She is my boss too, so tomorrow <laughs> will be interesting. <laughs> oh, mixing business with pleasure. That could be dangerous. It can. It's the first time we've done it, but it, we'll, we'll see what tomorrow brings. <laughs> How did you leave things when you left the site of the race? At 100 miles an hour because I was running so late. <laughs> I hope I wasn't a distraction for you out there. No, no, it was fine. She's fine. She's just She just kept saying, I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you're not puffing. I don't know how you're not dying. <laughs> okay. Because I just need it to finish. Now, you've done a fair bit of hiking down there in Australia and Tasmania, correct? And do you do overnights? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. We just got back from the Great Ocean Walk on Monday, which was a five-night overnight. Okay. Four-night. Four-night, five days. Fantastic. I am just getting prepared to see which set of questions I want to ask you based on your experience. I'm, I'm curious, too, because I've heard several different reiterations of them, and I'm just... <laughs> So you're not quite, you're not sure what's coming at you. No, I'm not. (laughs) Okay. Maybe I'll mix them up. I'll I'll mix and match a little bit. Okay. All right, Tracy, here we go. Question number one in the hiking pole. When you're out on the trail, do you use trekking poles? Yes or no? I use one sometimes. Okay, and as this is not rapid fire, so go ahead and give me an explanation. That'll help me with my scoring of your score on the sanity scale. Okay. My reasoning is when I was first training for Kokoda, which is a trail through Papua New Guinea, I was using two hiking poles and was very uncoordinated. And the guy that was our trek leader, I was talking to him on the phone, and he asked me, he said, are you using one or are you using two? And I said, oh, two. And he said, I want you to try one. And I went, oh, no, can't, no, not confident with two, can't do one. He said, just take two. He said, but on your downhill, because he knew what track I was going down. He said, try one and see how you go. And he called me after I'd done it. And I said to him, I had never felt more confident than I felt using the one. And I've never used two since unless I'm in the snow, because it gives you that hand free to be able to grab things and yeah, it's just a little bit more freedom. And I don't tend to use them. Like on the multi-day I just did, I think by day four, which was a really big day, um, I pulled it out then. Um, but otherwise, I just carry it with me. It's just my friend. 
So it, it boosted your confidence level because you're able to use that free hand to do other things? Yeah, to grab onto a tree or to, it just, I don't know, it just gave me, I just felt so much more confident coming down this track. It's called Glasgow Track and it's or it's called the Scar Track. So it just basically goes straight down Mount Dandenong in Victoria here. It's one kilometre straight up, about 350 metres in elevation. Oh, I've got my phone, I can Google that. So not huge, but it's good. It's a good training ground. And coming down is very steep and very rocky. I used to just have the hiking poles out in front and like, a, like an old grandma kind of thing. And then I used the one and it just seemed to free everything up. Okay. So, yeah. All right. You've already gone off menu. I said no poles or poles and you went with one pole. So we'll see if that trend continues here. Question number yep. two, what's on your feet out there? Boots or trail runners? Trail runners. Fuckers. And do you have a preferred brand? And why do you prefer trail runners? Hawkers and I use the speed goats. I just, I was using the boot, which was also a hocker. And they, so when I did Kokoda, I used those. And they discontinued them. And I got into a panic. And so my people, who, my friends who own this other trekking company that I've done a lot of my hikes through, he just turned around to me and he's gone, just use trail runners, Trace. He said, you're fine. Just just use trail runners. And so I did. I invested in them and I would never look back. I love them. I thought you said something else when you first answered trail runners. I, so over here, we pronounce them as, as hokas. Haka, that's that's what they do on the, the rugby haka. field over in New Zealand, right? They do the haka? That's the haka. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. That's good. That's good. Question. Yeah, the hope is. All right. Question number three. Toilet paper, bidet, leaves, or something else? Uh, out on the trail. Yes. Yes. Not not at yep. home. Not at home. Not at home. Toilet paper at home. <laughs> the other part actually have been very lucky and have never actually had two people on the trail. So. <laughs> what? Never? No, I've managed to jag it every time that there's a convenience right where I need it. (laughs) Eat two pounds of cheese before you go out? (laughs) (laughs) That's one way to do it. All right. Question. I do carry toilet paper for that. Got it. Question number four. When it comes to your shelter system, do you do a tent, tarp, hammock? Bivy or cowboy camping? I've got a tent and I guess like most people feel that makes me safe from the world. I have camped in a swag once out in Central Australia and I absolutely loved it. And I think I would like to do it more often if I knew I wasn't going to get crawled on by bugs or rodents or <laughs> have a snake join me in my sleeping <laughs> Yeah, Australia is home to some of the the deadliest creatures, is it not? It it is. But, yeah, I I get the fear that the rest of the world has for Australia. But obviously listening to your podcast and that, you guys have cougars and bears. (laughs) And moose. We don't have those. (laughs) We have snakes who don't really want to know you most of the time. Okay. 
Question number five. When it comes to food out there, stove, cold soak, or stoveless? Oh, stove all the way. And why is that? I like my hot dinners. I dehydrate my own meals, so I take them out there and I enjoy them while everybody else suffers with yucky food. And what is your go-to dehydrated meal? I've got a beef and rice that I do, but lately it's my pasta that I really have been enjoying the the pasta, just just like a bolognese sauce. That's good comfort food out on the trail. Certainly is. Okay, question number six, is life better above or below the tree line? This one gets me a bit because I, I love above the tree line, but I seem to have a thing for the desert. That seems to be, yeah, we've got a trail here called the Lara Pinta Trail, which we can get to later, and it's the desert, and I, there's just something about it. I just, it's hard, but I love it. Yeah, you are not the first guest to talk about the the magic of the desert, of hiking and camping in the desert. Um, mm. it's, it seems counterintuitive, like it's a desert, but uh, mm. uh, there there must be some some attraction, some pull that I just don't understand at this point. I think the one that I've done with the Lara Pinta, it's very. It's gonna make me sound a bit weird, but. Very, like the culture and like the people that I did my treks through, because I did them through a group, not on my own, they're very culturally minded. So they've got a lot of the Indigenous Australians out there and they we learn a lot about that sort of stuff. And then when I took some ladies out there myself this year, it's just something magic out there. If you let it, if you go out and just walk it, it's a walk. If you go out and you actually feel it, there's something magic out there. Yeah, I don't know. And we really don't have a lot of above the tree lines. Like our tallest mountain is 2,000 metres. So. That's what that was, that was going to be a follow-up question is uh, what is the height that you have out there in terms of mountains? And so thank you for answering that. I think it's 2,228 2, metres, which where is my thingy here? What's that? That is, oh, I don't want that. Um, I'm on my phone, so Googling is... Probably, what, 6,800 feet? Yeah, there you go. Be my guess. Yeah, so not high. Yeah. Okay. That's our tallest mountain. All right. Question number seven, last question in the hiking pool. What's more important, pack weight or luxury items? I... I do probably take a few luxury items, but I do really struggle with my pack weight. So I'm trying to get it down, but I'm just not being very successful. Yeah, without spending an absolute fortune on gear, I just don't know how I can get any lighter. So I do prefer, I think, carrying a full pack is not my favorite thing. So yeah, I'm not good on pack weight. So what what is your pack weight? Did you mention that? I don't really know. And I'm just, <laughs> after the, some of the people you've spoken to, they'll probably fall off their chairs. <laughs> I think the minimum I've got it down to before food and water was about 
11 kilos, which is about, what, 22 pounds or something. That's not bad. That's not bad. I've heard heavier. <laughs> okay. I just don't know how they do it. I, I yeah. Me either. I, 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 I wish my pack was in single digits, but it is not. I feel for you. Stand by. I've got to do some math here. This is the math portion of the podcast. I've got to carry the two. We're going to multiply by pi. I'm going to divide by root five. That seems to be a magical number. And then I'm going to make a slight adjustment for the number of kilometers left on the tread of your Hakka speed goats. And I come up with a score of 65. That's pretty good. <laughs> I don't like that. I should have made an adjustment for the number of times you've gone poop on the trail, but uh, I wasn't sure that'd be appropriate. So, all right. Hey, Tracy, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. I'd love to hear about your background, where you grew up, what kinds of uh, sports and hobbies did you engage in as a kid, and how did you get involved in the outdoor adventure cult? Okay, so I was born in Sydney, Australia. My mother tended to put me into every possible sport she could think of to try and make something stick. Nothing ever did. It actually just turned me off sports. If there was a sports day at school, I was chances are I was homesick. I just, yeah, not team sports, not solo sports. The only thing I probably had a little bit of interest in was tennis maybe, water skiing. Yeah, when we moved up to Queensland at Christmas time, we used to go up to Fraser Island, which is called Kagari now. I think that's the traditional name is Kagari. So we used to go up there car camping every Christmas for a few years there with the mum and dad and they maybe meet all the same people that would go up every year. And so we did that. There was dingoes up there. I had issues with them. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, say that again. What, what happened with the dingoes? The dingoes, they just, Kigari at the moment is actually quite dangerous. You're not allowed to hike over there on your own because people have been feeding the dingoes for too long. Um, so they just actually, just recently, they've just attacked people. They just walk up and just bite. Um, and it's our fault. We've done it. It'd be like the bears over there with you. But back when we used to go, they weren't that bad. It's only if you were stupid enough, like, my father one night to leave food on the table <laughs> and they would come out and they would have a fight over said food and the poor person, i.e. me, who was sleeping on the side of the tent where they were fighting ended up with two dingoes on top of me <laughs> fighting through the tent. <laughs> People have tried to tell me recently that they weren't fighting and I'm going, no, they, they were fighting. They were not doing that other thing. They were fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was the dingoes. But I look back now and I wish I had of appreciated. I was about 13 when we did that, so I was your typical teenage girl. I had better things to do than be camping with my parents. And I look back now and I wish I had of appreciated it because a lot of the stuff that we did back then, you're not allowed to do over there anymore. There's too many rules. You can't. We, we didn't do anything wrong. We were swimming in rivers and stuff like that, whereas you can't swim in a lot of them anymore. They're all protected and all that sort of stuff. So I really wish I had appreciated that as a child um, more than I did. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot more rules nowadays than there used to be. I, I'm with you on that one. And that's, you know, I'm not sure how I got to where I am today, how I survived having so few rules in my life or so such uh, yeah, little supervision in my life. Yeah, I'm great. <laughs> um, yes, I didn't do a lot outdoors. I think for me, it just happened gradually. It was more, I think when I got my life back and I was living on my own, or my, my children were a little older and they were living their own life but still living at home, I would go once a year, I'd just make a plan for about three or four days and I would find somewhere to go and I would drive down there and I'd just do little small hikes off the road by myself. And I think that's how it started. Looking back, that's pretty much how it started. But it really, and I also started running as well. So I was doing a lot of running and it all just kind of just merged together. And, and it was only when this Kokoda trip popped up on my social media and it was a fundraiser that I did when I went over there and I just stood up and said to my workmate, well, I'm going to do Kokoda. And she goes, do it. And I went, do you think I can? I said, That's, like Kokoda is Kokoda's massive, like it's a mammoth trail. And she goes, do it, just do it. And so I signed up on the spot. <laughs> And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> wow. And we're, and we're going to talk about the Kokoda trip in uh, segment two. But uh, I want to talk, I want to follow up on a few of the points that you brought up. I'm interested when you said, I, I, my ears perked up when you said you got your life back. I'm assuming that means when your kids were older and you had more time to yourself instead of having to worry about all of their needs as we do when they're kids. How many kids do you have? I have three. Three. Three and how old are they now? The oldest is 30 and she's due to have her first baby in about a month. The middle one is, I hate this question, 26, I think. <laughs> and the youngest is 24, just. <laughs> I hope you got those ages right. Otherwise, they're going to they're gonna let you know. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I always get them wrong. I only remember the 31 because it's easy. <laughs> First grandchild coming up then. Yeah. Congratulations. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, had the baby shower yesterday. <laughs> this has been a busy weekend for you. It's been a very busy weekend for me. All right. Hey, so, yeah. Tracy, what do you do to pay the bills and finance your adventures? I work for an earth moving company at the moment in the accounts department. I'm, I do accounts payable, but then they outsourced to that. So I was supervising that, but then that's gone. Anyway, that's a whole mess. Deal with that on Monday. But I also, because that, that pays the bills basically, but it doesn't let me live. So I've started guiding on weekends and I work for a local company and we we do local like day hikes, short hikes. We'll do interstate hikes. They go overseas. Yeah, so I, I do that, and that sort of gives me a little bit more play money to, to stash aside and hopefully be able to do some more cool stuff. Now, what kind of training did you have to do before becoming a guide for the company? With my experience from the trails, I had to get to stage certified in remote first aid. So, um, like snake bites and 
that sort of stuff. And it's basically it was just on the job, learning to do it their way. So, yeah, and I've been working for them for probably, um, probably about 20 months now. Okay. And in those 20 months, have you had a chance to put your remote first aid training to practice? No, thank goodness. <laughs> Very good. And what is the I'm name of the company? Worried, what is What is the name of the company? We'll give uh, them a shout shape, out. Take Shape Adventures. Take Shape Adventures? Yeah. Okay. Take Shape Adventures, yeah. Very good. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from the advertisers, pay some bills. And when we come back, we're going to get into some of those hikes from down under, uh, including Victoria, Tasmania, and the uh, aforementioned Kokoda. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Thank you. 
This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome back. We are talking to Tracy O'Brien, a.k.a. Wrong way? Wrong turn? Yeah. Maybe? <laughs> wrong way, I think you, you, you don't sound too excited by either of those, so maybe those aren't the ones. I don't know. Uh, yeah, we'll just see what we'll see what comes up. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, before we went to break, I mentioned we come back and we talk about some of your hiking excursions, some some of your adventures, and I mentioned the Victoria hike. And I guess Victoria is a state in Australia, and you've done yes, yes. a bit of hiking in Victoria. What kinds of hiking opportunities exist in Victoria? So I've recently I've done three times now the Great Ocean Walk, the Great Ocean Road. It goes along the coast. It's absolutely beautiful coastline. It's stunning. And it was actually built by returned soldiers. So it's technically one of the longest war memorials. I don't know if that's in Australia or the world. But the track, they've now built a track that's about 105 kilometres that goes all the way along the coast from Apollo Bay. And you walk to what's called the Twelve Apostles which is this amazing rock formations that are off the coast. So you walk 105 kilometres towards them. So I've just come back from that on Monday um, with a group um, and I've done it twice myself previously. Um, We've also got a trail here called the Grampian Peak Trails, which is a new trail that has opened up. Uh, I think it's about 12 or a 14-day trail but they were very rigid with their time so you couldn't you could only book if you had to book each campsite each night so if you wanted to skip campsite you couldn't um but i believe they've recently changed that because i think people just weren't weren't going there we've got a one of our longer trails that we've got is the australian alpine walking trail so it goes from wahala in victoria here and goes to Canberra, but you go through all the, the Alpine regions. And I think it's about 800 kilometres, maybe. I've done the first section of it, and it, it's just, I think with COVID and everything, Parks Victoria just have run out of money, basically, and they haven't maintained it. So it's you're very snaky. And <laughs> I, I didn't enjoy that section at all. I think I ran it. <laughs> How long was the section um, that you did? Oh, it was just a, I was just, I was actually supposed to do a different section, but getting to it in my car was, became a bit of a problem. So I ended up turning around and going to Wahala and figured if I'm going to do a section, I may as well do the first section. But I did an out and back and I think I maybe did about 20 Ks or something. So 10 out, 10 back. Got it. 
but I've got a friend who really wants to do it as a fundraiser for his foundation that he's got and I'm going to join him for a section or two on that, but hopefully they've maintained it a little better and it's not quite safe. So thank you. <laughs> when they maintain it, do they send snake wranglers out there to relocate the snakes? <laughs> they just cut the grass so you can see the jolly things. There you go. <laughs> now the Great Ocean Walk, is that is that wild camping or do, do you also have to camp in designated camp spots? No. You've got to camp in the campsites, so they've got specific – like, but, but you can skip campsites there. So you could we, – we did four nights, five days. Other people do six days. But you can – yeah, you can do it faster. You can skip campsites. We skipped Devil's Kitchen. No, we skipped Ryan's Den because there's no – no good car access to Ryan's Den and we were getting our, because I was guiding on that one, we were getting our gear moved in and out um, by some poor fellow and he couldn't access that campsite. So we had to double up that day, which was a massive day. So, yeah, they're a bit looser on, yeah. And I suppose nobody's ever going to know if you actually throw your sleeping bag down on the ground and just sleep. (laughs) So. Now, when you're guiding, are you taking novices out, and what kinds of skills are you teaching them before you leave or during the trip? What 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 do they get out of going on a guided trip with you? I like to show them. I like to make it more than a walk. So I like to. I'm big on the flowers and the fungi and stuff like that, and I like to teach just teach people how to hike hills. A lot of people don't know how to hike hills, and they. I was taught by a friend of mine how to hike hills and I like to pass that on to other people. And I don't know, it's just nice to see people that one, don't realise what they've signed up for, but to then achieve the goal that they set out to do and just to see them do that and to see them enjoy the walk as much as I did or I do, I think to me, that's what I get out of it. And I'll and how to take photos. <laughs> nice. Now, in all of your 20 months of guiding, have you run into any uh, moments with the guests? Yes, we recently had one up in the Northern Territory, which is in Central Australia. And there's a trail out there called the Lara Pinta Trail. So it's about 220 kilometres. Don't know what that is in miles. Most people do it over 10 to 12 days. We were doing a highlights trip. So we were doing out and backs on the parts of the trail that you could access by vehicle. And I was with three slower ladies and the other guide had gone off with the three faster ladies. And so we had lunch in a riverbed, which was all looking around going, well, this is prime snake target territory. And we got up from there and we headed back and we started walking. Because we were with the slower group, I started walking back with them and presumed the other group would catch up with us. And we were climbing up a riverbed a dried riverbed because it's all dry out there. And I, it was almost like if the water had been running, it would have been a waterfall. So I've bent over, grabbed hold of the rock and pulled myself up and stepped off the rock. And then the other lady has come through. She was on the rock. And then there's two ladies left behind. And all I hear is this, it was actually like a hiss. And I've spun around and this snake has come out from under the rock that we just had our hands on up like this 
the other lady that was standing on the rock has that was the fastest I've ever seen her move. She then got the trial named Jets from that moment. <laughs> the other two ladies were stuck on the other side of the rocks. So there was big rocks. And they were stuck over there and one of them so one of them's got a massive snake phobia, so she burst into tears and just started crying. Her cousin was with her and she's banging her hiking pole. And so it scared the snake away because obviously they go by vibrations and all that sort of stuff. So she's banging her hiking pole. But what it was doing, I was standing up on a rock on my side. And I, I, in hindsight, I know exactly what was going on now. She's banging her stick. My instinct in my head, I got up on this rock because all I wanted to do was take a photo of it. So I've got my phone in my hand. <laughs> got my hands out to sand to the other lady going, don't move. Don't move. And then this snake's like come up like this. And I have never seen anything move as fast as this thing did. And every time I've gone to her, don't move, this thing's come at me. And I've just gone, move. <laughs> so what it was, the other ladies banging their sticks was actually driving it onto us. So it was only when the lady behind me, I didn't have my pole on me. She had her pole in her hand. So she started banging her pole. And at that point, it's gone off to the side and I, I did still manage to get a photo of it because priorities. And then so we've, we went and walked the rest of the, the riverbed banging our poles the whole way thinking, all right, you got any friends out here? They're not coming near us. And when the other group caught up to us, they come up behind us and they said, oh, we could hear you miles away. And I said, that's good. We don't care. We're just going to keep banging our poles. And then as the ladies were recounting the story to the other guide, He's in the process of going, oh, it was probably just a python and I've held up my phone at the same time with the photo and he went, that's a King Brown. And I went, guessing that's not good, <laughs> which is I think the second deadliest snake in the world or something. <laughs> and it's called a King Brown? A King Brown, yeah. King Brown, Wow. So it sounded like you guys were almost playing like tennis with the snake. It was going back and forth. Couldn't yeah. decide which way to go. No, it was a weird moment. And I don't really know how, I don't, I guess you don't know how you act in one of those situations to you in those situations. I do know that I probably failed as a guide because all I wanted to do was take a photo of it. <laughs> Especially when it was up like this. So, yeah, I read about it when I went back to that hotel that night and I think it's it's either the second deadliest snake in the world or the second deadliest snake in Australia. Very quiet, not aggressive, and very rarely seen. And I went, he was angry, he was upright, he was definitely seen, and he was very aggressive. We were very lucky to walk away there. That's right. I was just going to say you saw an angry King Brown and lived to tell about it. That's it. That's it. Makes for a good story. Mm -hmm. Now, you also have done some hiking in Tasmania, which is an island state off the coast of Australia, correct? Yes, down the bottom. Yep. Yes. I do love their hiking. Like the trails down there are amazing. And Parks Tasmania, they know how to do it. So what kind of hiking were you able to do in Tasmania or in Tassie? So the two main ones that I've done a few down there, but the two... Probably in maintenance. So you've got Bay of Fires, which is up the top, and that's not really an end-to-end -end type trail. That's more day hikes in and out sort of thing. So crystal clear blue water, white sand. They've got some sort of, I don't know if it's an algae or something that's on the rocks. And I've heard multiple stories as to why it's called Bay of Fires, but one of the stories is that they're 
when the sun rises and hits the algae, it actually lights up the bay like it's on fire. So it's, that's absolutely beautiful up there. There's, um, which I've done just a day hike in, at Freshen A, just out to Wine Glass Bay. So it's a bay that's shaped like a wine glass. Again, crystal clear blue water, white sand, very beautiful. The overnight hikes I've done, so you've probably heard of the, I think you've interviewed someone who's done the Overland Track yes. down there. Mm-hmm. Yep, done the Overland Track or the OT. And I've done three capes, which is, it's only, it's only a four-day, three-night, but it's an incredible experience the three capes, just, I call it my instant gratification hike, whereas the Overland Track was my type two fun hike. So it's just beautiful and the way they've done it, you have to stay in the shelters or, they're not even, you can't even call them shelters. They're bunkhouses and community centres and like you've got yoga mats in them and it's just incredible. It, they've just done amazing. Are the yoga mats for yoga or is that what you're supposed to sleep on? I know there's memory foam mattresses in the, in the bunks. That's, it's like glamping, yeah. Tracy. That's That sounds pretty nice. It, it, it is. It, it is. So you start you start at a place called Port Arthur, which is used to be a like a convict prison back in the days when we were all convicts. <laughs> it's down the bottom of Tasmania there somewhere. So you go to Port Arthur. You catch a ferry or a boat. You catch a boat out and they will take you on a harbour cruise and then they drop you on a sandbar and you've got to wade ashore. And then you've only, so day one's only like a four-kilometre hike uphill to the first camp. Um, You there? Yes, keep going. Keep going. Yeah, so it's a four-kilometre four hike up to the first, they're called shelters, really not shelters, and you get assigned a bunkhouse and there's eight people in each bunkhouse. The bunkhouses have obviously bunks and they've got memory foam mattresses, so you don't need to bring any of your, you don't need to bring a tent, you don't need to bring mattresses and you don't need to bring cooking gear. So you get assigned a cat or cabin or bunkhouse so say I was in cabin one, I would then be in cabin one the next two nights as well at the next two campsites. Got it. And then they've got these community, it's like a kitchen hub, but in the hub they've got heating, they've got all your cooking gear, they've got yoga gear, they've got all your big fold-outs, like a library, so you can, what flower is this, what, what fungi is this, all that sort of stuff. Uh, they've got a sunset deck, so you can sit on the deck and watch sunsets. That's just night one. But you, I did it solo. You're just bunking in with seven other strangers. But there's no heating or lighting in the in the bunkhouses, but you don't need it. And the drop toilets, oh, my Lord, they were amazing. They're these new fandangle drop toilets. You can hear the fans when you go into them. Uh-huh. They don't smell. And the floors are that clean that you could actually get dressed on them, like just drop your clothes and just get dressed in there and... Yeah, just amazing. They're just, yeah. <laughs> Pretty luxurious, it sounds. Yeah, and then so day two you head out and you go, day two was about 14 kilometres and it was through like Crystal Heath. So lots of 
lots of flowers. It's just a beautiful, just a beautiful walk. And then day three is the big day, but where the campsite is situated, you actually walk out from that campsite to go out to what's called the Blade, and then you come back through the campsite. So you can actually drop your pack and just take a day pack. So the bulk of the kilometres that day is done with a day pack, and it the scenery is just, I don't know, there was a couple of places where I just stopped and went, I'm done, I'll just live here for the rest of my life because that is a postcard. And it's just so beautiful. So you do all that, then you walk back, grab your pack, and you walk about 5Ks to the night three campsite. Day yeah. four, you've got to go up. Yeah, day four, you've got to go up Mount Fortescue, which they say it takes about an hour to climb, but I got carried away in there with the the bungee and all sorts of stuff. It took me about an hour and 20 minutes. Then you get up the top and you cliff walk for a while. Then you drop your packs and you walk out all these steps out to a thing called the Totem, which is just this rock formation that climbers love to climb. And I still don't know how they do it because I don't know how they get to it without dying. Hmm. Um, <laughs> just stand there and go, I'm not really sure how you do that. <laughs> so you walk out to that, spend some time out there, you come back, pick up your pack, and then you walk four day, four kilometres down into uh, Fortescue Bay, have a bit of a swim, jump on the bus, go back to Port Arthur. Wow, what a trek. That, that sounds pretty nice. Let's talk a little bit about that Kokoda trip because that was that's your big trip. You took a flyer on that one. You signed up for it on a whim. What were you expecting going into it? In Australia, Kokoda is one of those battles. So it was a battle, I think it started in July 1942 and went through to January 1943. And the Japanese landed on the northern beaches of forget the names of the beaches. Anyway, they landed there. And the battles, I don't want to get into this, I'm going to get it wrong, but there was like tactical retreats and all this other sort of stuff. And the Australians lost, I think the Australians lost 2,500 lives in there, but the Japanese actually lost a lot more. But in Australia, Kokoda is very, it's not talked about as much as some of the other battles, but it's, it, it should be. It really should be because it was just the men that were over there were actually, most of our soldiers were off with the Americans and the British fighting over in all the other places that things were going on. So the only people that they had left to fight were just the reservists. So they called them chocolate soldiers because they presumed in the heat of battle they would just melt. Yet those chocolate soldiers saved Australia because Papua New Guinea is only a couple of hundred, hundred kilometres off our coast. So they fought and saved Australia. So when, when you go there as an Australian, it's it's not just a hike. There's so much more to it. It's, it's very emotional. And I went with a veteran and it was his, I think his 30th trek over there and he still talks about the places and the soldiers as if they were his brothers. So you've got that exceptionally tough, slog because it's hot it's humid it is muddy the rain is relentless it's the complete opposite to the three capes trail down in tasmania it's, it, it is a tough track and so when you go you've got to add it's a, it's the hardest thing i've ever done it's mentally physically and emotionally at that point just adding the emotion into it adds that whole different element and you have I never thought I'd do it because I didn't think I could do it carrying a pack. 
but the way you do it is you actually hire porters. And I didn't like that idea. I thought that was terrible, making someone carry my pack. But after being over there, they are so much more than that. They are your lifeline. The first few days, all you get out of them is head, watch your head. They'll put out their hand, they go hand. They'll actually put their foot down so you stand on their foot to come down. They head, hand, foot. They put up your tents, they get your water for you, they carry your packs. They do it barefoot, a lot of them. And we're all dying climbing up these hills because it is just, it's, I was rereading my diaries the other day, my journals, and I had to actually message the, my trek leader and go, oh, my God, the things you write when you're in the thick of it, it, it was just, <laughs> it's just funny to read now, but it's, yeah, it's brutal. It is a brutal track, but it is worth every step. And we don't have guns firing at us and we don't have, we're not dragging artillery up these hills. So it's, it's, I think every Australian should do it just for the experience and the history. But it's a lot of tree roots. So we came to the conclusion that it was Papua New Guinea is one giant living organism and you're just climbing it. <laughs> There's one tree at the top and you're just climbing it. That, and it's, that paints quite a picture, Tracy. <laughs> I don't, I'm not making it sound very attractive at all, but it's, you know what, you actually, it's not meant to be. Yeah, you make it sound like a transformative experience. And it sounds experienced a lot, not just physically, but emotionally and existentially what what was changed in you after you finished that hike I had a lot more confidence in myself I think and I think because you get in there and you think like I trained 12 months for this track I did everything I possibly could we don't have altitude issues over here because our mountains just aren't high enough I think I realized that I can do anything I put my mind to and I think I know the exact moment that something changed in me. I can tell you the exact place, the exact moment. I was. I can tell you who I was talking to. I don't know what it was, but something in my brain flipped. I cried on day two. Day four, I did really cry on day four. I hid in a tent for 45 minutes <laughs> and stayed there till I could come out. <laughs> But I think that that particular day we were climbing up what's called Brigade Hill and the porters took my day pack off me. And to me that was, to me I'd failed. I wasn't at the back. I was in the middle of the pack. I was never at the back. I was in the middle of the pack. But for them to take my pack off me, um, I felt I had failed. But then I got to a point where, I was actually terrified they were going to give it back to me. <laughs> it's actually so much easier to walk without it. <laughs> and then they did give it back to me. So I think there was that. There was, it, it's just, and there was another moment on that hill where I know I actually looked up to the sky and said, just give me 10 metres of relative flat to just recalibrate my body and just to try and get even again. And I remember climbing and just looking up at some point, and it was about nine and a half metres in front of me, and I just went. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, after day four, I had a conversation with the trek leader, and it wasn't about me. It was about a whole heap of other things, but I took off from that break and 
something had changed. Something flipped in my head. I don't know what it was. Something flipped. And for the next four days, I just, I wasn't up the front. Something from day five onwards, really, whether my hiking legs kicked in, I don't know. But mentally, I think I just stopped fighting it. I just, yeah, so I'm a lot more confident, have a lot more faith in what I can do, put myself out there a bit more. If I want something, like I wanted to guide, so I went out and I asked. But yeah, very, yeah. Sounds like a very Strange tough one. experience, but very worthwhile. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'll never say, like, as far as using the porters is concerned, we, the porters that we used were descendants of the Fuzzy Wuzzies, and the Fuzzy Wuzzies were integral in um, part of Australia's the war over there because they used to carry a lot of the wounded down to the hospitals and stuff like that. So the porters we used were descendants from them and the money that you pay to use those porters goes to the village. It doesn't go to that individual porter, it goes to the village and it actually helps the villagers. So learning about that changed my perspective on a lot of things as well. Um, it's not all about you and it's not all about you being able to carry your pack and you being able to tough it out. It's also helping the communities that you're also hiking in. I feel like I know not only a lot more about hiking in and around Australia, but also some of the history. It's almost like I, I got a history lesson tonight. So I want to thank you for that. Yeah, sorry. No, sorry about that. You've sort of got to know a little bit of the history about Kokoda to understand or try and understand. Because Kokoda is one of those trails, and you've probably done them as well, where you can come back and you can talk about it till the cows come home, but nobody gets it. And you find someone who's done Kokoda and you just go, oh, my God, and you just can't stop. You just, yeah, it's one of those trails. Yep, got it. You put, you totally put it in perspective right there for me. That was the perfect analogy. Yep. All right. Hey, Tracy, what is the next big adventure for you? I don't know. I'm stuck at the moment. I've been tossing up Nepal I've been told, I really, I had Kilimanjaro booked for 2020, but that obviously did not happen. It has not happened. Um, but then listening listening to your podcast and things like that, I, I first heard about the PCT through Wild, of course, and I think the Appalachian Trail, I'd heard about it on, we get like virtual runs. There's virtual runs that you can do on the Appalachian Trail. So I didn't know what it was, had no clue, just remember hearing the name. And obviously the thought of bears and cougars and humans or whatever they are over there. It terrifies the hell out of me. So I liked it when I heard about the John Muir Trail and I started listening about John Muir Trail. I thought, it's only 200 and what is it? Two, 211. How much is that? 220? Two, 211. Yeah. 211. Yeah. Well, that's probably doable. It's just the altitude that would get me there. <laughs> yeah, I, I've learned a lot from listening to your podcast. And another one I actually heard, so one of the, People that you were talking to, I could say the other day, but it was I was listening to it the other day, actually mentioned the Hiking Through podcast with Erin something. I listened to hers as well. And so a lot of the characters that have come on your show were also on hers. So it's like old friends. That's right. There's some crossover there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's good. So John Murtrell, and we'll have to get you out here. Yeah. The, the thought 
Yeah, I think if I was going to do anything in, in America to start with, I think that would probably be the one. Just got to, yeah, I'm not big on going by myself. I'm fine once I get out there. It's getting out there that I need. Drag, yeah, one I need of your, drag one of your daughters with you and let me know when you're coming and I'll do some trail magic for you. <laughs> I've probably got more hope with my son-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's hey, on some trails. Got it. Tracy, you know where we are right now? Tracy. Oh, look at you. Hiking hacks. That's right. It's time for hiking hacks where you get to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make your next outdoor experience even better. So what do you have for us, Tracy? I'm just going to keep it simple and just say, after a long day, get a dry bag, dub it full of clothes, put it underneath your mattress and elevate those legs. Nice. Keep those feet up. Keep those feet up. It makes them... Awful lot of difference the next morning. Okay, that's a great one. I don't think we've had that one before, so thank you for that. No problem. Okay, so there you have it. We are just about done here. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Tracy. I want to thank her for joining us this week. Tracy, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media, and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? I do have an Instagram that's I, yeah, it's Trek. It's called Trek, Trek, Trek Life Adventures. I need to get back onto keeping that updated because I've got a bit slack on that one lately. I do have another one at Tracy and 1604. You just have to request that one. That one's probably more up to date. So, Okay. Remember to check out Hacker Trash Radio on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share with me, you can send it to me at hackertrashradio at gmail.com. Off the beaten path. Now, unfortunately, Tracy, we can't always be on the trail. And when we're not, we need to find a way to get our adventure fixed. So I'm going to ask you to share some outdoor adventure media with our listeners to help them get by. This could be a book, movie, documentary. We call this segment Off the Beaten Path. I know you've already mentioned Wild. Do you have any other suggestions for us? I do. Um, one, I know you've had the, the Netflix show mentioned quite a few times, but I'm actually going to go a little bit left of field and mention the actual book, Beyond Possible, Nimsday Perger. I, the Netflix documentary was good, but I found a book. I couldn't put the book down. It was, yeah, I now understand. Like I thought that the actual documentary was a little short. I wanted more. And I now, after reading the book, understand why it's not more. I really found that fascinating. And I actually do have a couple more. There's a couple of Australian ones. So I've got a friend who's written a book called Adventure Lives Here. Um, so he's written it on. He owns a trekking company out here called 100%. It's 100% Adventures, but it's also 100% Kokoda. Um, and he's written a book on how that all came to fruition. And a lot of the people that he's met along the way, me, I think I'm in there somewhere. So I, that, yeah, it's just a good book. It's a good friend and... I wanted to mention that. Well, um, I don't know if I should. I, I don't know if I should admit this, but on my website, the tagline on the website is "Adventure Lives Here." So I, I hope that isn't a a copyright infringement of any I know. kind. I know. I know. The first time I heard it, I went, "Oh, hello." <laughs> <laughs> 
And the other one I wanted to mention, just if you're ever coming down to do trails in Australia, there's a gentleman that writes, they're like, it's like guides to the trails. His name is John Chapman. So he's someone for the Lara Pinta Trail or the Overland Track. I think he's on the Great Ocean Walk. Maybe it's just the old ways. But when we used it up at Lara Pinta, it was invaluable. He has every side trip. He has, yeah, it, they are invaluable guides if you ever are coming down here. Yeah, John Chapman. Fantastic. We got three for one right there. Thank you so much, Tracy. Mm -hmm. No worries. What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? What do we miss tonight? Um, that I'm a, I'm a bit, little bit of a, an adventure junkie. I do love jumping off things. Yes. So a little bit of an adventure junkie there. And I'd love to one day actually. I'm also love Survivor. <laughs> Absolutely love to be on Survivor one day. Oh, wow. You're a big Survivor fan, huh? I am. You keep keep, keep listening to the podcast because we may or may not have a very famous Survivor contestant on one of the episodes. Ooh, okay. Okay. And when you, got me curious. when you say you like to jump off things, are you, like jumping off of buildings, do you are you like a base jumper or you jump out of planes or are you a, a high diver? No. What does that mean? So I was working up to skydiving because that, to me, I just don't understand why you jump out of a perfectly good aeroplane, but it's also something that, yeah, it's also something that needs to be done. So I started with, we've got some bridge climbs over here, so we've got the Sydney Harbour Bridge, we've got the Story Bridge in Brisbane, and then we've got the Auckland Bridge in New, in New Zealand. So I started with the Sydney Harbour Bridge, which is actually supposed to be the third bridge, and we you climb those. But when I went over to New Zealand, I went over for just an adventure weekend and because New Zealand's just, it's actually cheaper to fly to New Zealand than it is to fly anywhere in Australia. So I did, there's a, they've got a building over there called Sky Tower, and you can walk around the top of the Sky Tower, but then you can jump off the Sky Tower, but it's a controlled jump. It's so a, I jumped. It's a bungee jump. No, it's not a bungee jump because you don't jump by your feet. I did that the following day. Oh. <laughs> this one, it's, you go upright, and you basically just step off the building and you fall, and it's about 12 seconds, I think it is, but it's controlled. I think it's 90 kilometres per hour or something like that, and you just land down the bottom. So I did that, and then I did the bridge climb, and I jumped off the bridge with a bungee. Didn't hit the water, which I was disappointed about. And then I went to Africa not long after that, and I did uh, 28K whitewater rafting down the Zambezi, and then I did a all in one day, 28 Ks down the Zambezi, white water rafting. And then I went and did a gorge swing. So I stepped off the gorge and tried to fly and did the zip lines. Yeah. Wow. You are a thrill seeker. I am. And when I jumped off the building, that actually got my blood pumping. And I went, oh dear, if that's what it takes to get the blood pumping. You have to go. You have to go more and more extreme from this point on. And yeah, I was listening to those wingsuit people that you have been talking to, and I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> now they are crazy. Yes. All right. Hey, <laughs> thank you for sharing that piece. I'm glad. I'm glad we talked about that. 
So we are finished. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, Tracy. We wish you the very best in your future adventures and hope you'll consider coming back and telling some more stories. Sure. And as we close up today, do you have any shout outs to friends and family? Um, probably a shout out to, I'd like to actually give a shout out to Cam, James and Nick Fife, who, who taught me everything I know for the trails. Without them, I wouldn't be where I am today. And of course, my kids. <laughs> oh, well done. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if the angry King Brown won't sit still for that great picture. The trail is the trail. Embrace the sock. just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.